the song that we sang about letting the walls fall down. Because really, if you think about it, we need grace to accept one another. And that's what we're going to discuss this morning. The grace to accept one another. You know, many of us, I believe, suffer from what I have termed the porcupine syndrome. Now, some of you are saying, what is the porcupine syndrome? Some of you are saying, what is well, you know, I'm glad that you asked that, sir, because m many of us are not aware of the porcupine syndrome, but what the porcupine syndrome is basically is this. There, were a, there was a family of porcupines that went out for a walk on a cold winter's evening. And as they were walking, they began to get a little cold. And so they thought to warm up, they needed to get closer together. And the storm got worse, and they decided that to survive, they needed to get closer together. But if you know anything about porcupines... The closer they got, the more they began to irritate one another with their quills. And as they got closer, they would irritate each other, and so they would begin to separate or to move away from one another, and the further they got away from each other, they began to freeze to death again. And so they began to realize that, you know what, it's not a lot of fun sometimes to be close to people, but it's necessary to survive. And I thought as far as accepting one another, there's a lot of truth to that. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I get to the point where I just get sick of people. Now, you probably don't, but uh, I do. But then I realize it's like the closer you get. I had a friend who was a professional baseball player, and it was interesting because, you know, you talk about baseball, 162 games a year, 80 somewhere on the road. So, you know, it's not like football. I mean, football, you get eight games on the road, and maybe, you know, on a long trip, you spend two nights, but most of the time it's just one night, you're in and out. And so you only have to spend, you know, maybe eight nights on the road with your roommate. But in baseball, you have to spend 80 nights with a roommate. And I said, doesn't that get tough? And it was great. He looked at me and said, you know what? Sometimes I just want to look over at him and say, you know, I hate the way you chew your food. <laughs> I mean, have you ever been like that? It's just like there's just certain little things. It's like, and you know, I hate the way you chew your food. And a whole bunch of other things. And I realized, you know, if, if we're to accept one another, if the walls are to fall down, it really is going to require the grace of God to allow that to happen. And if you've picked up on anything by now, you notice that basically grace comes in two packages. The vertical package, which has to do with our relationship with God. And the vertical package starts out with basically, you know, it's good news for all of us who fall short of the standards of God, which is perfection, that we would meet every one of his demands. Vertical grace frees us up from all of those demands. And vertical grace is founded upon a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, you know, it's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so that none of us would ever be able to boast. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so vertical grace starts the whole process. Well, then we're into horizontal grace, which has to do with our relationships with one another. And that's only possible after we have a right relationship with God. Vertically, we've got to be right with God in order that we would have His grace to demonstrate toward one another. And so as we consider all these things, basically that horizontal grace frees us up from being trapped under the ice of human expectations. What other people expect us to be or to become all their opinions and their, and their guilt and the shame that they put on us because we're not who they want us to be. And horizontal grace will free us up from that. And that's what I want to try to, to get across as we look at what God has to say because regretfully some of the most guilt-laden people that I personally know are Christians. And I want to ask you something. 
Is there anything attractive about such a life? The Bible says we're to be a light to the world. We're not the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but we're lights in the world. And people are supposed to be attracted to what they see. But if I ask you a personal question, ask yourself this. Are people attracted to what they see in my life? Are people attracted to what they see in my life? That's a personal question, isn't it? Or do people want to run from me as fast as they can? And I think a lot of it has to do with asking yourself a couple more questions. Question number one. Do I add to or lessen the guilt that people feel in their lives? Do I add to the guilt and the burden and the shame they already feel? Or do I try in some way to lessen that in their life? Do I promote freedom in another person's life? Or do I subject them to bondage, which we talked about the last time we were together? See, both questions deal with attitude. If you stop and think about it, they deal with, you know, am I charming and gracious or am I restricted and rigid? You know, am I a freer or a freezer? You know, some of us think we're appliances for God. You know, we're freezers, right? You know, am I a freer or am I a freezer? You know, am I a blesser or am I a blaster? And really, the end result of that is I'm either going to be legalistic or I'm going to promote liberty. And it all has to do with attitude. Viktor Frankl, who was a prisoner of war, survived three years in, at Auschwitz and other Nazi death camps. And he wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he reflected back on what he went through and his experiences in these camps. And this is what he wrote. He says, We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, and that is the last of all human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. And there are always choices to make every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision, which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of the typical inmate. Even though conditions such as lack of sleep and insufficient food and various mental stress may suggest that the inmates were bound to react in certain ways, in the final analysis it became clear that the sort of person the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision and not the result of camp influences alone. I like that. Because I've heard it put this way, that life is 10% circumstance and 90% of how I respond to those circumstances. The inner decisions. Not just the outer influences, but the inner decision, the attitude that we have. And my, my hope as we go through all of this is to encourage us maybe to, to look at the importance of making up our mind as to those inner decisions that we have to make regarding our attitude and how we deal with one another. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Because fortunately, God has given us great help and has gone to great lengths to give us information as to how we are to accept one another. 
And in Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 9, it really, if you look at this passage, it's a blueprint of authentic Christianity. I mean, every one of us who calls ourselves a child of God, or who, God, better yet, God calls a child of God, should reflect this in our personal lives. This, is, should, this should be what attracts people to ourselves. And if you look at this in Romans 12, start with verse 9, ask yourself the question, is this me? We read, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord and rejoicing in hope and persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer and contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another and do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in our own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will reap burning coals upon his head. And do not over... And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all say that that was true of our life? I mean, what a, what, I mean, what a great testimony that would be before people that we would come in contact with. But the problem is, is that why aren't we like this? Why is our love hypocritical? Why aren't we devoted to one another? Why don't we give preference to one another? You know, why don't we contribute to the needs of others and practice hospitality? Why do we curse those who persecute us and not bless them? Why do we look for ways to get even with those who hurt us? You know, why do we do the things that we do? It's interesting. Why, why, why don't we enjoy when others have a few more luxuries or can do things that we are unable to do? Why don't we rejoice with them in the blessings that God has given them? rather than slam them behind their back or criticize the choices that they make or the opinions that, we ha that they have. Why are we the way that we are? And it's interesting, as we look at this, it really comes down to we need to understand the grace that God has given us to accept one another. You know, as I was going through all this, you know, I started to realize that, you know, we have two big problems in life, most of us. Number one is the problem of comparison. We like to compare ourselves to other people. And if you stop and think about comparison, basically it causes nothing but envy and competition when we begin to compare ourselves. The other problem that we have is we want to control one another. We want to, in some way, attempt to control others, either through manipulation or some type of intimidation. Think about comparison for a minute. It's always based on externals. We look at others and we see things from an external point of view and we begin to compare ourselves to them. We begin to put ourselves into competition with other people. Or we begin to ask questions about why, why do they have the musical taste that they have? Why do they have the hobbies that they have? Why do they do the things that they do? I mean, you look at the income that they make and we begin to compare ourselves to what they make and what they have and what we have and what we don't have and what they want to get. And you look at all of that and if you stop and think about it, what vacations they go on or where they're traveling or how many days off a year they get or what car they drive or what car they're going to buy or, or what vacation house they have or if they're married or if they're single. And if you think about all these things, the heart of racism and prejudicial thinking is comparison. 
we compare ourselves to one another. And if people are like us, that's great. And that's wonderful. But if they're different than us, then watch out. There's a problem there. Somehow there's a problem because they're different. If they're like us, they're in. If they're not like us, they're out. You're either in this clique or you're outside of that circle and you form your own clique because you don't like the fact you're excluded from the other clique. So you're not in that circle, so you form your own circle. What's the purpose of that? So you can exclude other people because they excluded you. And we begin to compare ourselves. I, you know, and I, I start to wrestle with why can't people drive the car they want to drive? Why can't they go on the vacations they want to go on? Why can't they live in the homes that they live in? Why can't they decorate the house the way they want to decorate it? Why can't they paint it the color that they want to paint it? How many of you have driven down the street, saw a neighbor painting their house one? What in the world are they thinking? I mean, we've all done that. You know, are they landscaping? What are they thinking? What kind of landscaping is that? I got a master plan for the neighborhood, the community. I understand. Why didn't it call me? Talk to me. I got the whole thing laid out, mapped out. I lay in bed at night wondering what color they're going to paint their house. It's like, you know, we compare, we go through all this, and it all it does is it, it just fuels envy and it's strife, and we judge one another, and it makes, you know, it really makes us prejudicial people. But the interesting is the Bible is filled with people that from the external point of view are so different, man. They're different than night and day. Read through it sometimes. You got Rahab, who was a harlot, and you got Esther, who was a queen. You got Amos, who was a fig picker, and you got David, who was a shepherd boy turned into a king. You got Paul, who was educated when he was Saul in Jewish rabbinical schools. And you've got Peter, who was a fisherman, blue-collar worker, wasn't educated in anything and demonstrated on many occasions. You know? And if you stop and think about it, you know, I think variety honors God. It was God's idea that we're all different. 1 Corinthians 12 says he gifts us in different ways as he desires and as he chooses. God's, and, he, and he illustrates it by using the analogy of a body. The body, there's many different parts, but it all serves one purpose. But we're all different. I was out golfing the other day and I thought, man, isn't that the truth? You want to see different stuff going on. Just go out golfing, and it depends on who you golf with. You really see some different stuff. But it's like not only just the differences in people, but even in everything God created. You know, it's like we went to the snack shop, and they had a hummingbird feeder, and there's three or four hummingbirds just buzzing around there. And it's like you realize why hummingbirds need as much sugar as they need. I don't know if they're hyper because of all the sugar, or if they need all the sugar so they don't fall out of the air. But they're there. And there's a big old crow in a tree just ready to swoop down and steal all the snacks he can steal. And I'm looking at this going, here's a hummingbird, there's a crow. This is amazing how different things are in the world that God's created. But there's nothing wrong with differences. You know, it's interesting. One day, when we're all in heaven, and we look around, and we see who's there, and we see how different we are, do you realize the only thing we'll have in common is that we're all there, and none of us deserve to be there, but we're there for one reason alone, and that's by the grace of God. Do we, I mean, do you have a, even a slightest bit of understanding of that? And as you stop and think about that, it helps us in our grace to accept one another. The, the second problem is we want to control each other. We want everyone to be like we want them to be. And that is really difficult. Every wedding that I have a, a, an opportunity to officiate at, I make this one point. Very simple. Don't try to change your spouse. It doesn't work. I've been trying. No, I had tried, and it didn't work. And you had tried, and it doesn't work. 
and it's really frustrating, and it's really aggravating, and it's really annoying until you realize that God makes us male and female. He makes us different. He made us that way. And so the reality of all of it is, is don't try to change your spouse because it can't be done. Only God can do it when it's necessary for some changing to take place. You see it all the time. We see it struggling in every marriage that I know. I see the constant struggle of one person wanting the other person to be like they want them to be and trying to control them and manipulate them in every way that they can. And it doesn't change just because you get older. I witnessed this last week. This is unbelievable. There's a couple that have been married 55 years. 55 years. They're getting dressed to come with us to church. The dad... First checked it out, asked around whether he had to wear a suit and tie. And knowing that it's not easy to get him to come to church, it was like, no, you don't have to wear a suit and tie. You can wear those plaid shorts if you want. <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. So he said, great. So he got dressed, put on a nice bandlon shirt, a little knit shirt, put on a nice lightweight jacket, was walking down, getting ready to go. And the woman that he's been married to for 55 years, guess what she said? You're not wearing that jacket, are you? What jacket? The one that I'm wearing? Yes, I'm wearing it. Well, go get your sport coat on. There's a major crisis taking place there. Now I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of like reading the paper, but I'm, I'm like taking all this in. Kind of like just waiting to see what happens here. And also trying to appreciate why my wife is the way she is. So, just praying. Just pray. Well, no, just, you know, praying it's not a gene pool thing. All right. So, so we got this major, we got this standoff here. I mean, Custer had it easier than this. And I was like, okay. And, and uh, she said, you know, go get the jacket on. He goes, well, if I get the jacket. And see, we all know how this is, man, right? Now, if I get the jacket, the shirt's next, and then the tie's going on. And then before you know it, nothing matches. The pants got to go. The shoes got to go. Everything's got to go. And we're leaving, like, now. So he goes, well, you know. So finally, I can't help it anymore. I say, he looks fine just like he is. <laughs> Yeah, and you got to remember, last week was Mother's Day. All right. He looks fine just like he is. Then she pulled out the trump card. If you wear that jacket, I ain't going. Have you been there? This morning you've been there. Oh, okay, good. Well, you know, we've all been there. It was amazing to me. It was like 55 years of marriage. This is still going on. I'm getting really discouraged. <laughs> I'm like, ha, ha, 35 more years to go. <laughs> but it's like, but it was amazing to me. I saw a cartoon that kind of illustrates it maybe even better than this, and I know I won't get as much trouble for this, but the cartoon is, there's this little mealy-wheely-like guy who's sitting there watching a TV show. And he's just watching the show, and this, this kind of lady comes walking in, and she says, hey, I want to watch Channel So-and-So. And he says, kind of, you know, meek, wheelie kind of guy. Like, well, but, but I was watching this. Is it okay if I still watch this? I mean, 
I was watching this first. And she said, no, put the other channel on. He said, well, but what makes you think that I should change the other channel? And she says, these five fingers. She goes, one, two, three, four, five. Makes it into a fist and says, now turn the channel. And so sure enough, he turns the channel, he walks out the room, and he's got this conversation going on with his hand. He's going, man, he's talking to his fingers. Why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, that's the way it is. What's the deal here? We want to control each other. We want to intimidate each other. We want to make each other feel guilty and, and, and riddled with fear. We want to accept one another. But the problem is, God has a different viewpoint on all of that. Romans chapter 14. Let's take a look. Enough about things that kill grace. Let's take a look at some things that promote it and encourage it. Okay? Four thoughts. Take with you. In fact, you know, make yourself, you know, a promise as you leave here today that, you know what, I'm going to apply these things in my life. I want to be a promoter of grace in my life and in the world that God has put me. I want to be someone who frees other people up and doesn't freeze them in their life. In Romans chapter 14, let's take a look at the first one, verses 1 through 4. How to promote grace in your life. How to accept one another. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let him, let not him, hang on now, okay, I'll get to the cultural context of this. That's <laughs> in a minute. Hey, vegetarian, what, hey. Let not him who eats regard with contempt he who does not eat, and let him, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Now, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. To, be a promote, to, to, be a, to promote grace, or to be a proponent of grace, we need to, number one, learn to accept one another. The word accept is also transliterated in other, other uh, passages to receive, to make welcome. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28 too says that when we came there, you received us and you made us all feel welcome. I like that. You make us feel welcome. If you want to promote grace and learn to accept other people, you must make their opinions welcome. Isn't that interesting? I think as you look at this, you begin to realize to allow others the freedom to hold convictions that are unlike ours, to accept them and their opinions in spite of the differences. The issue at this particular time was eating meat. We talked a lot about that in the last session, but there was basically two rules of thumb here, two schools of thought. There were those who were idol worshipers who had sacrificed meat to idols and felt it was wrong to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols if any portion of it was sacrificed they would not buy and eat that meat there are also those who come out of judaism who had accepted jesus christ and had called him lord and savior and now they were wrestling with the old dietary laws that they had before about what they were allowed to eat and what they weren't allowed to eat and so they were struggling with that and so the issue continued to arise as far as the difference of opinion whether they should eat meat or whether they shouldn't eat meat and it was causing a lot of problems, and it was causing a lot of disagreement, and it was cause, causing a lot of lack of acceptance of the, each other's opinion. And so what he was saying was, I, he said that, that, now accept the one who is weak in faith, 
but not for the passing or the purpose of passing judgment of his opinions. And that particular day, the problem was me. Our day, it's a whole bunch of stuff. And I sat down, I started to write things down that I have personally seen cause problems in the body of Christ between one another. Things that would not allow us to accept the opinions of one another. And I'll just jot some down. How about going to the movies? Controversy today is what rating is a Christian allowed to go and see? We don't go see anything that's R. We don't go see anything that's PG-13. We won't go and see anything that's, that's anything more than a PG. We just go to G. And so we don't go very often. But the problem is, what movies do we go to see? What ratings do we go to see? What's allowable? What's permissible? What's your opinion? What's my opinion? And if I ask you right now to raise your hand what your opinion is, there'd be a whole bunch of division going on right here. Should a Christian go to see an R-rated movie? And some people would say yes, some people would say no. There'd be a big fight that would break out and would bust each other's lip over whether or not we're to go see an R-rated movie. Should you wear makeup? Shouldn't you wear makeup? What age should a girl wear makeup? Junior high, 13, 14, 16, 25? I don't, what is it? I mean, what's the rule of thumb here? When should they wear makeup? When should they wear jewelry? How much TV should you watch? Should you work on Sundays or not work on Sundays? Should you play any sports on a Sunday? Should you go out and do anything on a Sunday? You know, should you go to the beach? I mean, there are things that differ. I mean, people differ and have different opinions. You go through all of it. And if you do go to the beach, should you ever wear a two-piece bathing suit? Hey, and what about those dental floss ones? Hey, I, you know, what about those? You know? Or should you even go if they're wearing them there? You know? Uh, should we buy lottery tickets? Shouldn't we go to buy lottery tickets? Should we even go to Las Vegas? Should you go to Las Vegas at all, even for the great vacational family packages that they offer? Uh, you know, it's like, hey, what about a quiet time? Should you have a quiet time every morning, every evening, sometime during the day? Should you read your Bible every day? Should you pray every day? Should you go away on weekends? Should you even go to the desert or out to the, you know, the river? Should you do any of that? Or should you be in church? Should you go to the morning service? Should you go both services? Should you go to adult Bible fellowship? Should you go to evening service? Should you go on Wednesday nights? Should your kids be involved in high school? Should they be involved in junior high school? Should you be involved in DE? Shouldn't you be involved in DE? Should you be involved in a committee? Should you be on this, this committee, that committee, the other committee? Should you help out in child care? Shouldn't you help out in child care? Should you do it for six months, three months, two months, or two hours and see if you like it? I mean, what should you do? Should you wear certain jewelry? Hey, and you know, should guys even wear earrings? What's the deal with all that? So a guy wears wear earrings. I had a guy come up to me at church not too long ago said, I can't stand it anymore. I can't handle it. My son-in-law came to, to, uh, to our house. He's wearing an earring. I went, oh, you lost him forever. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I just thought, well, is it a nice one? I mean, you know... <laughs> Or is his ear turning green? I don't know. I mean, what, what, do you, what do you want me to tell you? I mean, should you or shouldn't you? I mean, what's the deal here? Should you wear certain clothes? I mean, should you go to restaurants and sell liquor? Should you even drink liquor? I mean, it's like, you know, what clothes should you wear? I had a guy come up to me not too long ago and said, Hey, you know what? Oh, I didn't know you weren't teaching today. So why not? He goes, Well, you don't have a coat and tie on. I didn't think you were teaching. I was like, What? And I'm thinking now, wait a minute. Now, is that a veiled attempt to say that I should always wear a coat and tie if I teach? Or does he really think the gift of teaching is tied up in a tie and a coat? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm like, you know, I want to exhort and encourage and try to teach, you know, as I'm doing. It's like, now, where, where's the problem here? But I know what he was saying. And we've all done that. Huh? Well, she, yeah, see, obviously she must have been out of town because I got here without a coat and tie on. There you go. No. But no, and then there's some benefit to that too. I'd be like the biggest slob in the world if it wasn't for my wife. 
I mean, that's why you learn to enjoy the differences, you know? And, and instead of fighting them all the time, she has something valid to offer. It's like, really? I didn't even look at myself that way. You know, it's like, oh, well, I do. Well, thank you, because I don't see that. And we look in the same mirror. It's an amazing thing. It's phenomenal. <laughs> How about music? There's a problem there, huh? What do we listen to? Man, you know what? Oh, I love the way David does it. I can't stand Mike. I like Mike. I can't stand David. I like this. I like that. I like jazz. I like rap. I like soul. I like rock. I like the hymns traditional because they come from God. <laughs> Should you dance or not dance? If you dance, if you dance, do you dance? Or like the old one. Remember the old, there was an old, I saw an old movie not too long ago, and uh, they were dancing. And a woman came over to them, and kind of these two were getting too close together. And the lady said, now remember, make room for the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Say, what? Now see, some of you got it going like this. <laughs> but it's like, you know, and, and can you dance? And if you dance, is it square, square dancing, ballroom dancing, disco dancing? What is it? I, I mean... What, what are you allowed to do? And what kind of jobs can you hold? And which way do you wear your hair? Assuming you have some left. I mean, how do you wear it? And, and you know, facial hair. I mean, I grew a beard once. I thought half the people in this church are going to have a heart attack and die. <laughs> so what is the deal here? You got facial hair. And I said, well, ma'am, so do you. But I didn't say anything about it. <laughs> no, I didn't say I didn't say that. I thought about it. Hey, who? Hey, now. You know, I mean, we all have our opinions on certain things. Personally, I didn't think it looked that bad on her. But anyway, <laughs> should you get a facelift? Shouldn't you get a facelift? Should you get a tummy tuck? Should you get a breast implant? I mean, what do you want to talk about? We got all kinds of stuff here. Should you chew tobacco? Should you put too much? Should you put salt on your meals? Should you eat meat or vegetables? I mean, should you smoke a cigar, a cigarette, pipe? I mean, are you allowed? I, you know, the first time, I, I remember the first time somebody, I gave me a book on C.S. Lewis. Great man of God. Wonderful works that he did. And on the back of the book, he had a picture of him in his den smoking a cigarette. Oh, just throw his books in the trash. You know what I mean? Not much to offer there. The man had a cigarette in his mouth. See how funny we are? It's like, you know, should you be in a shepherd group or not? You know, should you speak in tongues? Should you raise your hands? Should you shout amen? Should you whatever? You see what I'm saying? You see how much division is caused by differences of opinion? And that's all that it is. Which are right? Obviously the ones that you think are right. Which are wrong? Obviously the ones you think are wrong. Which are right? Which are wrong? You know what is wonderful? God says he accepts them both. You know, when you look at this and realize that it says that let not him, and the word regard with contempt. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. The person that eats meat says, you know what, about the person that won't eat meat, hey, who needs them? Write them off. If they're not grown up in their faith that they don't know you can eat meat by now, then who needs them? Isn't it amazing how we are? If they think they can come to this church and not have on a coat and tie, then who needs them here? If they think that they can sing praise songs that are all that newfangled beat stuff, who needs them here? If they think this or if they think that, who needs them here? Look upon each other with contempt. He says, don't do that. Accept one another. Accept one another and the differences in each other. 
Then it says, and you know what? And, and don't judge him who eats, for God has accepted them both. You know, it's amazing to me, and what will free you up when you realize the grace to accept one another is found in this. That God accepts people as they are in Jesus Christ. Whether you still smoke or don't smoke, whether you still have a beer or don't have a beer, whether you go to an R-rated movie or PG movie, whether you wear a suit and tie to church or you wear Bermuda shorts and cut off whatever, whether you go to the beach or don't go to the beach, whether you're involved in a ministry or not involved in a ministry, whether you're in a shepherd group or not in a shepherd group, the wonderful news is that God loves you through Jesus Christ. That's it. And whether you say amen, praise God, and you sit there and go, I'd like to say that, but I just don't feel free enough to say that, that's okay too. Do you understand that? Whether you want to clap with the song or you don't want to clap with the song, that's okay too, because God accepts you whether you clap or don't clap. That's a wonderful truth, man. I'm telling you what, it'll free you up. When you can accept one another and each other's opinions, even when they're different than your own, and still love them as God loves them. Man, I love the fact that we're all different. I love a difference of opinion. I love diversity. I like the fact that we're not all the same. And thank God you're all not like me, and I'm not like you. I like that. And we need to understand how important that is. You know, one of the biggest, biggest things that ever freed me up from a ministry standpoint was when I realized how true that all is. You know, we had a Bible study when we were doing the Rams Bible study, and you talk about diversity. You have never seen more diverse people in one room in your life. From all walks of life, from all cultural backgrounds, from, I mean, you name it, it was there. And you know what the wonderful thing is? When we could overlook all of those differences and just focus on the essentials. And you know what the essentials are? And they'll never change. The essentials are very simply this. Hey, there's only one way for man to be right with God, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's only one way to get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And this is the testimony of God. And this is his witness. This is, and this is the witness. That God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And if you know him and you've trusted in him, the Bible says these things I've written to you that you may know that you are a child of God. And as many as received him, to them he gave right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. When the, when the people ask, what do we got to do to be right with God? The answer is simple. To believe upon his name and you will be saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what? What I began to realize and what freed me up was that there was one common denominator. The doctrines of Scripture are essential. What the Bible says we must take at face value. The inerrancy of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, the revelation of the Word of God, the doctrine of who God is and who Jesus is, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit the triunity or trinity of God, the doctrine of sin and judgment of heaven and of hell, those things are essential, those things are fundamental, and those things we cannot waver one bit. And I'm not advocating that we ever do. And we will never change, and we will never accept the opinions of others who differ with us on those areas, but we will in love share with them why there is a difference and what the answer is. But where God is not rigid, 
we must not be rigid ourselves. What God accepts, we must also accept. The acceptance of one another. And there's some more. But you've got to come back next week. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that um, we are all different. And that you've created us that way. And God, we just pray that we can learn from those differences. That we will accept the differences. That we will learn to accept and have the grace to accept one another even when we differ with one another as oftentimes we do. God, help us to see what you're trying to teach us through these differences. And Father, I know one thing that I've learned is that you are a God of diversity. And that you accept all people who would just call upon the name of your Son to be saved. What a wonderful truth that is. And may we stop to condemn and to judge one another because of the differences that we have in our lives. But instead focus on what we have in common. And that is the fact that we, by your grace through faith, have been given life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we just praise you in his name. Amen.